Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Uh, thank you for the worship team uh, for bringing those words, uh, appropriate words to prepare us uh, for coming to John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 13 about Christ coming as the light. Um, so I invite you to take out your Bibles now and turn to John chapter 1. Uh, just looking at the time right now, I, I'm just recognizing um, we had in the past uh, referred to two peppermint um, sermons. Uh, this might be a two peppermint service, but, but that's okay. Um, while we were planning this, I had extra things planned. If you look at your bulletins, actually, um, I was going to walk through some of these broader themes um, in the Gospel of John and how that compares to the synoptics. Uh, the synoptics, for those of you who don't know, that's just Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so John has some... Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a lot of qualities, and John has something new that he's bringing, and I just wanted us to be able to reflect on that. Um, I won't go through it as thoroughly as I had thought, uh, but I will point out a couple of things. Um, so just one thing that we can um, notice about John is eternal life is central for him. That term's going to come up over and over again. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, eternal life just points to this future reality, something that we will be living in. But in John, he's using it differently. Eternal life is something that we receive and is in the present. In contrast, the synoptic gospels talk about the kingdom of God. Um, John doesn't mention that hardly at all, and it's just so present as a central theme uh, throughout the other three gospels. Um, another thing, there's difference in his teaching. Look at the, the bottom piece here, teaching with parables. All three synoptics feature heavily these parables. Jesus speaks in these short, pithy sort of sayings. In John, no parables, and it's longer discourses. The way that Jesus is presented and how he is teaching even is different. Uh, one of the big things is the I am statements. None of the synoptics have the I am statements, where in John, these I am statements are crucial ways of revealing that Jesus is God. Uh, the, the I am is referring back to that name in the burning bush where Moses asked, what shall I call you? And God names himself as this great I am. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, the, another thing of note is the shape of Jesus' ministry is a little bit different. Um, the synoptics mention one Passover, most of the ministries up north in Galilee. In John, there's three Passovers mentioned, and much attention is actually to Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem, its surrounding feasts. If you really want to study um, the Gospel of John, uh, knowing a lot about feasts and the festivals of uh, the different Jewish holidays can be really helpful because that gives some insight. And again, we're going to be looking at that in January and beyond. Uh, lastly, just some unique themes that you'll find um, in John. So John never really talks about miracles. Instead, there are miraculous things that Jesus does, but John exclusively refers to them as signs. And as we kind of noted earlier, signs are meant to point towards something. So John is really having this goal of showing that Jesus 
is, this, is God, is the Son of God. Um, other words that come up a lot here, and this, this will come up even in our passage from verses 6 to 13, um, true and truth, world, to send, witness, believe, all of those words are going to show up, some of them multiple times. Um, I won't get into the stats. Uh, I'll, I'll do a, just a couple. World will show up 80 times in the Gospel of John to witness, shows up 47 times. Um, and if you combine uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, um, to witness only shows up six times. So you know John is using that term to, to say something. It's important to him. Perhaps one of the most used words is believe. Shows up 98 times. Um, the whole rest of the New Testament combined only has 138 uh, mentions, which is about 42% um, of the time. Like, almost half of the mentions of belief are in one gospel. So John, to believe means something really big, and that's why we have that series title, That You May Believe. It is linked to the very purpose of what John is writing, and That You May Believe points specifically to Jesus as the Son of God. There's going to be more, but we'll leave it at that. Um, uh, just an introduction for our passage here. Another John is going to be mentioned. It's not the writer. Uh, the writer is kind of assumed to be this disciple of Jesus. The John that's mentioned here in the synoptics are, is known as John the Baptist. Um, John never gives him that title. Um, it's just this person who's sent from God. Um, if we only had the Gospel of John, we probably wouldn't know John as John the Baptist. We'd probably just call him John the Witness or something because that is his main identity, his main marker, as we'll see as we read. Uh, so let's come before God's Word. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to start by showing two different images and kind of thinking about two different ways that we can think about signs. We've already seen the first one. It's the sign that you might see on a road trip, that there's a viewpoint ahead. These signs are meant to increase your watchfulness. They, they should have you peering around the bend, say, is, is the viewpoint here? Like, are, do we need to turn off soon? Should we be slowing down? This sign helps you anticipate that maybe this authentic thing is on its way. And maybe if you're planning on going for a hike, uh, the sign might actually move you into action. You may be reaching for your water bottle or, or finding your hiking boots. It might have you doing something to anticipate the reality that the sign is pointing us towards. Another way of looking at signs 
um, is something that you might see on that hike. These signs are sometimes put there to educate you, to help see you things more clearly around you. Now, these signs could be beautiful on their own. Look at that. Oh. And you could get just captivated with that sign and focus on the birds there. But that's not the point of the sign. It's not to look at the sign itself, but the beautiful birds that are actually around and in the trees. We don't want to mistake the signs for the real things, to mistake the sign for what they are meant to point us towards. Today, we're introduced to a man sent from God, and John's identified as a witness. In a way that I want us to think about this witness, he's witnessing to something. He is a sign pointing towards something else. He's like a sign on a road trip. He's helping us anticipate what is ahead. John is like a sign that we see on a hike. We're not supposed to actually focus on him. He comes up early, he's important, but we are to pay attention to what he is pointing us towards. And that is coming from his role here. You notice we're introduced to this John, and right away he's linked to that title of witness. And then witness shows up three more times in our passage. Comes here. Uh, it shows up as testify. If you're reading in the NIV, uh, sometimes uh, testify is used to translate that same word, so you're not going to catch all 47 occurrences if you only do witness. Um, but no, that, that's the same word here. Three times it's repeated. John wants us to make sure that this sent person from God is characterized by being this sign, this witness that's pointing towards something else. Now, for some people, describing the Gospel of John as a whole, they, they kind of describe it as a court case scenario, that, that John is going to be calling several witnesses forward. And the thing that's kind of on trial is Jesus' divinity. That's going to be the, one of the central themes. He wants to make sure that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And the first witness that gets called forward here in this grand trial is John. He's kind of this primary witness to Jesus. If that's a helpful image, you can kind of keep that in mind. Uh, but for today, the primary image that we're just going to sit with is this image of what this witness represents, the sign that points us to something. Now, John is the signpost, and what's interesting about him and unique about him in John's gospel is he's sent before Jesus is even there. Uh, so maybe not thinking of a viewpoint piece, um, I'm thinking of the sign that was recently put up down uh, Old Claiborne by uh, Margaret Stenerson. I recently saw a sign that was put up that said in fall 2014, uh, they're going to be expanding on the building, they're going to be adding students there. That sign is put up to anticipate something that's not there yet. And that's, kinda, that's the type of sign that John is. He's, he's speaking, he's living in such a way that he wants to point towards something that is to come. We want to see him as a signpost that prepares people for Jesus. John is calling people to peer around in the darkness and look for what is ahead. 
John is setting things in motion, like, like you're preparing to go on a hike and you see that lookout point. He wants people to be moving, to be grabbing the hiking boots, to grab the water bottle. He's saying, what I say and what I do should invite you into changed living. And that should draw us to our kind of first application here. That we should take John seriously as a witness. We should take him seriously as a signpost towards something that gets us to prepare. Later in uh, John chapter 1, in verse 23, uh, the religious leaders ask John who he is. What, what is his purpose? What is he doing? And he responds that he is the voice calling in the desert, make straight the weight of the Lord. When I lived in Israel, uh, studying kind of biblical history and geography, this was a term that we heard over and over again. Whenever we went into the wilderness, our prophet would inevitably say, make straight the way of the Lord. What does that mean? Because when you look at the hillside in, in the wilderness, it is very up and down, and there are no straight ways. And when you hear these words in an ancient context, if you're familiar with Israel, the point isn't that you're just bulldozing all of these paths. What it's actually calling back towards is the words that were typically spoken when a king was coming into town. Someone would herald, someone would announce, make straight the way for the Lord. Make straight the way for the king. Captured in these words were a warning for the people kind of living in that town that the king was going to travel through. Make sure that your house is in order. Make sure that the streets are clean. Make sure that your poor are cared for. The king is coming to town, and if he sees that you haven't taken care of his land, if he sees that you haven't taken care of his people, then you're going to be in trouble. Or, or the positive side of this is, when the king is coming to town, you want to create a space worthy of that king's presence. You want to show that king that you have been living faithfully. John uses Isaiah's words, make straight the way of the Lord. The king of kings is coming. John is a great person to listen to for Advent, for this season, as we focus on this downward motion of the arrival of the King of Kings. We are meant to ask of ourselves, what does it mean to make straight the way for the Lord? Now, this is especially a good question, um, considering some of the pressures that we have for, uh, on us during this Christmas season especially the last 60 years or so, consumerism's been getting stronger and stronger and having a tighter grip on our culture. Christmas can be so often co-opted by just the busyness of the season. Christmas can become about which home can have the best and fanciest Christmas meal or which church can have the biggest and most magnificent Christmas concert or which person can have the most extravagant gifts. In the midst of the busyness and the competition, the focus on events, we can actually miss that space to prepare ourselves for, the Christ, for Christmas in the way that Christians had done for centuries. And the way that they had done it in the past is by intentionally slowing down. By looking around 
to our homes and our streets and asking ourselves, are we prepared for the arrival of the king? Like being people in the car near a destination, this wait for Jesus' return should move us into action. We should be asking ourselves, have we been loving our neighbors and caring for the poor? Have we been looking after the, the orphan and the widow as we were just focusing on through uh, the epistle of James? Or have we been acting like the church, unified under Christ? Have, have we been people striving to live what Jesus prays for in John chapter 17, that, that we are one as Jesus and the Father are one? I saw this quote um, earlier this week and thought it was appropriate. It said, if Paul, was, uh, if Paul saw what was happening in the church in America, we'd be getting a letter. Uh, that, that sentiment behind that quote is this assumption. The people reading it would say like, oh yeah, we're, we're not ready. We haven't been acting like we're ready. It doesn't, we're, we're not living in America, but it doesn't take much to be able to apply that in our lives. The quote was meant to have people say and think, we're, we're not living as we should. We have some work to do when it comes to making straight the way for the Lord. Now, John, as we've repeated already, is this witness. He's, a, he's testifying to something. Uh, but I want to look then towards what is he witnessing to? What is he testifying for? And the word that John repeats here is the light. Over and over again, light shows up in our passage. In fact, in the surrounding verses, the four verses, light is mentioned seven times. When we see repetition, we want to see what is John building on? So we're going to just jump back quickly and look at what is John witnessing towards by going to verse 4. In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John introduces light in his gospel by contrasting it with kind of this opposite. And I think it's important to know what darkness then represents. Darkness... And um, or the big quality for darkness here is that it is not understood. Uh, if you look in the newer translations of the NIV, it might say that the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, both of those words, the darkness not being understood or not overcoming something, give the sense that darkness in its essence is not able to do something. It's known by its inability and by its weakness. Uh, so I have a visual again to remind us of that. It's not strong. Uh, darkness is not strong. It doesn't have the strength to complete the task that it sets out to do here. And what's its task? It's taking hold of the light. Uh, now, sometimes we have a tendency to see darkness as evil, and that's just not how John is using it here. Uh, last week, we kind of had these different parallel words, these opposites that John uses, above and below, and light and dark, and spirit and flesh. And these words there, none of them represent evil in themselves. 
what I want us to think of when we see those words is actually lacking the strength, lacking the strength to be able to take the light. And the reason why we look at that lacking of strength to grab the light is because of what the light represents. Look at here where light is introduced. The light is life. Here we have the darkness, kind of like the flesh, the world, not being able to grasp this true life that we need. This leads to a pretty dire situation when we connect the dots. Darkness cannot grab hold of light itself. So another uh, image that we might associate with it is not just lack of strength, um, but decay, kind of that, that inevitable movement towards death. Uh, to help illustrate this, I drew a picture of my houseplant um, when it's put under care of me. Um, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't do well. Uh, what, what the poor plant needs is something else to come in and bring it to life. Unless there's external intervention, the process of decay will just inevitably happen. It needs life and light from the outside to come. And this is the state of humanity in John. Apart from God, in their sin, they, are, they, have, they separated themselves. They are inevitably moving towards decay. Without Jesus, we are limited to the flesh and the darkness with no power to grasp the light. And we need life then to come down to us. We need that downward motion. We need God to come to us. And that's why John, this witness, is a big deal. John is this signpost. He's calling people to prepare. That light is coming. In a world that's characterized by darkness and its inability to take hold of life, uh, this morning uh, we got to celebrate baptism. And we got that reminder of our need for life to come down, to enter in and transform it, that we need grace. We need God's movement towards us. John is witnessing that we all need this light. Uh, this is something, too, that we've been reflecting on in our Advent readings. We've had these Advent booklets that we handed out to start our time. And as night falls, we are called to bring to mind that darkness that our passage calls us to consider. We see that darkness limits, that darkness is unable to grasp life fully, and we call to mind our need for the light to come outside of ourselves. We cannot save ourselves any more than we can produce light on our own. We need a source of life. We need the true light to come. We are people like John. Um, John is someone who uh, refers to himself that he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to it. Um, it's been said that John is more like the moon than the sun. Well, he seems to bring light to the world, well, it might seem like he is the source of light, he's only reflecting it into the world. 
And that can be true of a lot of things. These things that are meant to reflect light to us, we can confuse them as the things that are the light themselves. We can do this with the Bible or the law or the prophets. We can do this with John himself. Those things are not the light. They are not the source. We can do this in studying theology and listening to sermons and singing songs and hymns. These things are not the light in themselves. They are things that reflect the light. Through them, they point to the light. The true light in this is God. The things only illuminate, they only have brightness so far as they point towards God and our relationship with Jesus. They only shine so far as they direct us into worship and in communion with this three-in-one God, the very source of life and light. Now, ultimately, the thing that John is pointing us towards is belief here, and that's no surprise. That's the central thing in our passage Remember, our series theme comes from the very end of the book or near the end in John 20, verse 31. But here we have already in verse 7, belief coming up, and it shows up again in the second part of our passage. John came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. The purpose of the witness is the same purpose of the book, belief in Jesus yeah, just, just look at how this is um, expanded on as we get through verses 9 through 12 here. It says, Jesus, who's the true light, the true light gives light to every man that was coming, um, that light was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was not, or that which is his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice here, Jesus is presented as this, this true light. Yet, even in the midst, people don't recognize him. In this, we start to see that it's not enough simply to observe Jesus. It's not simply enough to know about, to read about Jesus. You need to recognize him, specifically recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. John is inviting us to see, to contemplate for ourselves. Do we recognize who Jesus is? That Jesus is God come to rescue humanity. This calls for our attentiveness, to pay attention, to anticipate places in John and throughout Scripture where Jesus comes as the true light. Now, the second part here is this word receive. Now, you'll see that receive is closely connected to belief in our passage. Once we recognize him, we don't just let that sit, but we are invited to the reception of Jesus. And we don't get the option of just getting part of him or only the bits that we're comfortable with. This receiving of the light 
might be a little bit uncomfortable because we might actually want parts of our lives to remain in the dark or to remain hidden. But we can't just pick and choose which parts. We have to receive Jesus in the whole here. And this Jesus isn't something that we are able to receive because we can grasp and that we have the power and we have the strength to get Jesus, but it's because Jesus freely gives. Receiving Jesus means that we're not earning Jesus. It's not about accumulating good actions. It's not about doing something that's really great and impressive. It's not about you at all. It's simply receiving God's grace as it is given to you. We receive belief here that we may believe is an open-handed reception of the God who brings the truest life. So I just want to make this note, like if you're new to Christianity, if Jesus is new to you, the invitation is to receive him, to follow what the scriptures say about him, to allow John to give you a window into how God revealed himself to humanity, how he brought salvation, received the light, receive the life, and spend time with it, abide with it as John will encourage in chapter 15. Now, I started with the language of signs, so I want to finish um, by pointing back towards them. As people who believe, the church is meant to be full of people who do what John does, who witness in the way that John does. We are to be people who act like signposts. We are to live in ways that point to the fact that there is a source of life and light that we are meant to dwell with. Um, I think we have those different signposts scattered around in our community. Last week, uh, we had people spending a weekday evening sorting out food at the food bank, and that's going to happen again this week. This isn't a particularly glamorous activity, but these are actions that witness to a source of life and light that we've encountered. Uh, the other night, I stopped by uh, the church in the evening and said hi to the youth program to find that they had been busy thinking of the best way to use the $100 the deacons had given them to be a blessing to people in their broader community. More recently, I've been part of the, the Stenerson Breakfast Program, and it's been a joy to see the different people in our church serving and getting up early on a Thursday morning to serve breakfast to the, the kids at the elementary school and their families. If you look into the announcements, you can see all sorts of different ways and places where we are trying to show this blessing, this life, and this light that we are reflecting into our communities, whether it's dropping off hot chocolate and tea supplies for the Salvation Army, or it's the Sunday school supporting World Renew, raising money to support poverty alleviation across the world. What these things do aren't ways of earning our way to salvation, and they're certainly not things that we do to pat ourselves on the back as if it was a way of pointing at us, saying, look at how good we are. These things are things that we do to point towards the one who is life. These things just don't point back to us as though we are the signs. That's not the point, it is to draw people 
towards where nourishment is found, where life and light is. That people are drawn to us, that they ask about and encounter this Jesus. So I want to finish taking a moment to consider what ways can we be witnesses, what ways can we be signposts pointing people to the one who is life and light. As we consider this, let's turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for sending John as a witness to the light, and may we in this Advent time Listen to his voice as he tells us to prepare for the arrival of the king. May we be a people who believe, people who receive you as you are, and in doing so, see that we do not have to grasp at this light, but embrace it as a gift that you give. May we see how we are in a world caught up in darkness and decay, in need of the light and life that only you can give. Help us, as we abide in you, to be people who reflect your light and goodness in the world. May we be bold in action, and may we be bold in speech, that we may speak your goodness to this community, that we may speak your truth and tell others of who you are, wherever you may send us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.